So come with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 12 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1 to 12. Go ahead, let the preacher says this. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears, as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Join me in a word of prayer as we seek God's help to understand his word. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that this too is your word. And we pray that it would speak specifically to us, challenge us, comfort us, convict us. But more than that, draw us close to your son Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, in our passage today, I hope that you notice in verses 7 to 10 that Kohelet urges us in the strongest of terms to seek enjoyment, to seek joy with the things that God has given us. Look, at me, look with me at verse 7 to 10. There are five imperatives or strong commands there that God gives to us. Go, eat, drink, enjoy, and work. In other words, what this passage is telling us is that God truly wants you and me to enjoy life, to enjoy the good gifts He has given to us. Now, some of you sitting here and listening in, you may be thinking to yourself, Z, this is really not the right season to be talking about enjoying life. We've got deaths happening all around us, all around the world. It's a time of great uncertainty. How can you be talking about how to enjoy life? Well, very interestingly, though, if you look at the passage, 
You'll notice that verses 7 to 10, where Kohelet is urging us to enjoy life, that is nested and couched between two passages, verses 1 to 6 and verses 11 to 12, where Kohelet is musing about the certainty of death, verses 1 to 6, and the uncertainty of the events of life in verses 11 to 12. Now, isn't that interesting? He is telling us that it is precisely because of the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the events of life. It is precisely because of that that you and I should truly enjoy life in the here and the now. In other words, the context of death and the context of the uncertainty of the events of life give us a reason to enjoy life in the here and the now. God has given us a great opportunity right now to understand and to value life for what it truly is. And to do so, we need to understand the uncertainty of death, the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death. And so Kohelet is teaching us here how to enjoy life. And for us to do that, we need to see three things from this text. Firstly, we need to see what you do know. Secondly, what you don't know. And thirdly, where you should go. What you do know, what you don't know, and where you should go. Firstly, let's go to what you do know. Look at verses 2 and 3 in the passage. Kohelet, the preacher, the compiler, the one who has written the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this, It is the same for all. The same event happens. And once again in verse 3, The same event happens to all to all without discrimination, to all, verse 2, whether you are righteous or wicked, good or evil, clean or unclean, whether you sacrifice or don't sacrifice, whether you're good or a sinner, whether you swear or you shun an oath, whoever you are, whether good or bad, the same event happens to all, the same event happens to you. Now, what is that event he's talking about? Let's look at verse 3. They go, he says, to the dead. In other words, whether you're a good person or a scoundrel, the fact is, everybody dies. Death is a certainty. Why? Well, because even though there seem to be degrees of good and bad among people, verse 3 tells us that the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness. Sorry, full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. You see, all of us have sinned and rebelled against the author of life, and therefore death is our lot in life. So what Kohelet is trying to show us here is that there is one certainty in life that whoever we are whether good or bad, because our hearts are full of evil, because we're sinful and we've rebelled against Almighty God, we will live and then we will die. Now, a few weeks ago in chapter 7, we saw that Kohelet tells us that coming to terms with our death teaches us wisdom. Here in this passage, Kohelet is telling us that coming to terms with our death can actually teach us joy. All of us are going to die, whether we're good or or bad because ultimately all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's evil in our hearts, and so we live, and death is our lot because we have rebelled against the author of life. And yet, 
coming to terms with our deaths can actually teach us joy. Now, how? Look at verse 4. Well, it says, He who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. He's using a proverb here. You see, in the culture of the day, a dog was not considered a cute little pet that you take care of like we do today. A dog was an unclean scavenger. So today you think maybe of a sewer rat. That was how they considered a dog. The lion, on the other hand, was admired as the grand king of all the animals. So there's a distinction between these two types of animals. One is an unclean scavenger. The other is a grand, admired animal, the king of the animals. And yet, Kohelet says, the living dog is better than the dead lion. The living sewer rat is better than the dead lion. Why? Well, verse 4, he who is joined with all the living has hope. It's better because it's alive. And yes, hope. You see, when you reckon with death, you will see that life is worth living. Why? Look at verses 5 to 6. The living know they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is under the sun. In other words, the living have potential. They have a reward to look forward to. The dead, on the other hand, have come to an end of all of their accomplishments and all of their passions. The living can look forward to love, to hate, to envy even, can look forward to passion, but the dead have come to an end of all their passions. So where there's life, there's hope. That's what Kahelet is telling us about. In 2007, there was a movie uh, where um, uh, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman starred in this movie called The Bucket List. Now, these were two men who were in the later years of their lives, and they both discovered that they had about a year to live. And coming to terms with the fact that their life was limited, both of them set off on a journey uh, to take off all the things they ever wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. That's the whole idea of having a bucket list. So recognizing that they were going to die, they realized that they still had potential. They still had a year to live, and they were going to do everything they could in that year. They were going to make the most of us. My friends, a lot of us don't think very much about the day of our death. But we should. Next time you're at a funeral, next time you hear of someone who's contracted a terminal disease, take that as an opportunity to think about your own mortality and your own, the end of your own life because that brings into sharp focus the fact that you still have potential. There's still time to enjoy life. The living can still look forward to a reward. You can look forward to love to hate, to envy. Well, the dead have come to an end of those accomplishments and those passions. So friends, what you do know for sure, this passage says, is that you will die. You will come to an end of your life, whether sooner or later. And that can, in fact, teach you how to enjoy life as it is in the present. Now, some of you are thinking to, my, to yourselves, 
um, actually, Z, my life is pretty bad. And there are times I wonder whether death would be better than living. But how can you say, how can you say that coming to terms with the fact that I will die will actually teach me how to have joy in the present? Well, that's why you don't just need to face, come face to face with something that you know that you will die. You also need to come face to face, the second point, with what you don't know, the uncertainty of life events. Come with me back to chapter 9, verse 1. And the Kohelet says this, the preacher says this, Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Now, love or hate can also be translated good or bad. You do not know, Kohelet is saying, whether you will find love or hate, good or bad, in the circumstances of your life. Yes, you know for certain that your life will come to an end, that you will die, but you do not know in the days of your life whether you will encounter love or hate, good or evil. Now, what does he mean? Well, the passage ends in a very similar way in verses 11 and 12. And that clarifies for us what Gohelet is saying. Come with me to verse 11. He says in verse 11, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. Now, a quick aside, the word chance here is translating an original Hebrew word, and it's a very bad translation. Because the word chance gives you the sense of an impersonal, random force. But look at verse 1. Gohelet says that life is in the hand of God. So he's not talking about random, impersonal forces that encounter us. Your life is in the hand of God. God determines the times and seasons of your lives. You see, the word translated chance here has a sense of a possibility of something happening a possibility of a circumstance happening. So you could also translate this word a happening or a circumstance. So time and circumstances happen to all indiscriminately. That's the point. He's not talking about random impersonal forces. He's saying that our hands, our lives are in the hands of God and what we expect and what will happen to us is in His hands. We cannot know for sure whether we will encounter love or hate, good or bad, time and chance happen to all. And look at verse 11 again. You see, most of the time, the swift, the strong, the wise, the intelligent, the knowledgeable, they do get ahead in life, don't they? But Kohelet is saying, not always. Because time and circumstances happen to all in a way beyond our choosing. So he's urging us here. He's not saying don't be swift, don't be strong, don't be wise, don't be intelligent, don't be knowledgeable. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying don't trust in these things too much because there isn't always a correlation between these things that you have in life and true and lasting success. Why? Look at verse 12. Man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon 
M. He's imagining fish swimming in a school, free and wild, but unbeknownst to him, a net falls into the sea, catches some, and leaves the other. So like a fish or a bird going about life, this person suddenly gets caught up in a fisherman's net or a fowler's snare. Disaster comes upon them, including those with all the favorable resources of life going for them. And even that is not in their control. Friends, it's an illusion that we're in control. There isn't always a correlation, Kohelet is saying, between the resources that you have in life and the outcomes that you get in life. Yes, nine out of ten times, the swift, the strong, the wise, the intelligent, the knowledgeable will get ahead in life. But not always, because there isn't always a correlation between the resources that you have in life and the outcomes that you get in life. And perhaps, friends, you're unhappy because you think that you don't have the good things in life going for you. I'm not swift, I'm not strong, I'm not wise, I'm not intelligent, I'm not knowledgeable, I'm not good-looking, I'm not rich. And therefore you think my life is a failure. But friends, Kohelet is showing us that life is more complex than that, isn't it? There isn't always a direct correlation between the resources that you have and the life that you end up with. Even if you had all of these things, you might still end up a failure. And even if you don't have all of these things, you may still end up a success because there isn't a direct correlation between all of these resources and the outcomes that you get in life. And so, friend, if you have the good things in life going for you, don't be proud. And don't trust in those things. You may not end up the success that you think you will be. And friends, if you don't have the good resources of life going for you, don't be despondent either. Because life might just turn out in a way that you couldn't expect it. Think about it. Shouldn't you and I have bought stocks in Zoom a year ago? Who could have predicted that? Now, British comedian Michael McIntyre, I saw a skit that he recently put on. You know, he plays two roles. He visits a fortune teller uh, in 2019. Of course, he made this skit in 2020. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it, it's, it's a joke. He plays both the person who visits the fortune teller and the fortune teller. So he visits this fortune teller in 2019. And the fortune teller tells Michael McIntyre, next year, you will no longer be a comedian you will be a substitute teacher and an amateur hairdresser. Why? Because he has two young children. Okay. You will wear the t-shirt that you slept in the night before. Your friends will no longer come within two meters of you. You are in a shop. You are wearing a mask on your face and gloves on your hands. And you will spend many months inside. You will have many meetings, always in your kitchen. And they will always begin with, Can you hear me? I can't hear you. You need to unmute. And Michael McIntyre says, None of that makes any sense whatsoever. Think about a year ago, friends. This very moment a year ago, where were you? 
Where were you, friends? Could you have anticipated just a year ago where we are today, the entire world, where you are today? It made no sense a year ago. Why? Because life is complex. And it's a lot more interesting than we think that it is. There isn't always a correlation between what we have and what we own and the outcomes. It is an illusion that we are truly in control. Goethe says, known that death is certain. And friends, it's actually our fault because we have sinned against Almighty God. But the second thing we need to know is that the events of our lives are uncertain. And by knowing these two things, he teaches us in verses 7 to 10 to enjoy a life in the here and now. Why? Well, do you realize, friends, that even though death is a certainty and it's your fault, God should judge you and me, the fact that we're still alive and we're still experiencing a life, that that is a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. We deserve to die immediately because we've sinned against Almighty God. Death should encounter us right now. But the fact is, we still have, for many of us, a good number of years to live, a good number of years to experience life. And that teaches us and shows us that all of life is a gift. And yet, because of the uncertainty of the circumstances of life, it is fully in God's prerogative to demand our lives from us at any moment. Our life can be gone tomorrow. The favorable circumstances in our lives, because they come by His grace, can be gone tomorrow. So whatever we have in our hands today is gift, is grace, is mercy. And Kohelet says in verses 7 to 10, you are to seize the day. Come with me to verse 7 to 10, where you should go. Look at verse 7 and notice that the passage begins with the word go. Go. Now, this is a strong command, meaning Kohelet is not just saying eat la, drink la, enjoy la, work la. He's saying, no, go and eat, go and drink, go and enjoy, go and work. He is giving us a strong encouragement and urging to go and enjoy your life while you have time. Seize the day. He's saying there's no more time to waste. Seize the day. Make the most of your life now. Don't let life pass you by without enjoying it. Why? Well, look at verse 7. Because God has already approved what you do. God is favorable to what you do. God wants you, Kohelet says, even though death is certain and life is uncertain, in this moment, friends, God wants you and approves of you enjoying your life. Now, does that surprise you, friends? That God, the God of heaven, actually wants you to enjoy life? See, Ian Proven, the Old Testament scholar, uh, says this. You see, we tend to think that true Christian spirituality has to do with shunning created things, doing away with food, doing away with wine, doing away with sex. And yes, there is a time and place for fasting. There is a time and place of withholding ourselves from these things. But friends, do we realize, Proverbs says, 
that the enjoyment of the things that God has given to us in thankfulness to God, that this too is spirituality. So spirituality isn't just about shunning things. True spirituality is also about enjoying the good things that God has blessed us with, with thanksgiving in our hearts, recognizing that He is the one that has given these things to us, and He is the one that has given us the ability to enjoy these things. Kohelet says in verse 7, Go and eat, go and drink, go and enjoy, go and work, go and do these things, because God has approved of those things. Friends, God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not here to look out for people having fun and stopping the party like a safe distancing ambassador. He's not that at all. He desires you and me to enjoy the good gifts that He's given to us. Not to worship those things, not to be obsessed by those things, but to recognize that every single one of those good things that we have in life come to us as a gift. And as we enjoy those things rightly and in their proper context, that, friends, is practicing true spirituality. That, friends, is giving glory to Almighty God. And Gohelet is so keen for us to understand this that he fleshes it out in four areas of life that we all experience. Feasting, verse 7, dressing, verse 8, relating, verse 9, and working, verse 10. I'm going to go through these quite quickly. Come with me to verse 7. Feasting. Verse 7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Don't just eat bread. Don't just drink wine. But eat with joy and drink with a merry heart. He's saying, don't gulp down your food. Enjoy every morsel. Don't just eat for sustenance. Eat for joy. For food and all of its glorious varieties that we experience is a gift. It's a gift from God. Now here again, Kohelet is not saying go and overeat. In fact, the reason why some of us overeat, and I'm guilty of this, is because we're not enjoying the food as a gift from God. We're gorging. We're gorging. We're worshipping food rather than worshipping the God who gave us the food. Slow down, friends. Slow down. Don't just eat for sustenance. Don't just drink to quench your thirst. Eat and drink with joy, thanking God that He has given you food and drink and the ability experience it. Lunch is coming. Do you know, friends, that lunch is an opportunity for you to glorify God as you eat and you drink and you sever every morsel and every gulp, giving thanks to Him. Feasting, dressing. Look at verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. You see, in that day when you were mourning, uh, you would put on sackcloth and ashes. But on the other hand, when you were rejoicing, you would put on white clothes because the white clothes would reflect the sun and it was a very sunny type of weather. Now, what was oil for? Oil was actually a moisturizer. 
Okay, the sun was really very brutal. The skin would get very dry. So oil would moisturize the skin. And white clothes and oil taken together are symbols of joy. And this is what Kohelet says. Put on these symbols of joy. Even in your dressing, put on joy. Why? Because once again, clothes and apparels are gifts from Almighty God. They're not just meant to cover our naked bodies. They're meant to give us color and life and beauty. Yes, the world is coming to an end, but there is no excuse, Kohelet is saying, of not taking care of yourself. He's not saying dress extravagantly, you know, go and buy, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the brand names are. He's not saying dress extravagantly, but he's saying dress well. Put on color, put on life, put on beauty, because this too is a gift from God. Dress well, but not necessarily extravagantly. Go ahead, cleanse, tone, and moisturize. These two are gifts from a mighty God. Thirdly, relating. Verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain, and that word is better translated, fleeting life that he has given you under the sun. Well, well, it says if you're married, don't just put up with each other. Don't just use each other to get ahead in the ambitions of your life. Enjoy each other because God is the one that has brought you to one another. And he says, enjoy each other all the days of your fleeting life, of your vain life, because life will soon come to an end. The spouse that you've been given and the spouse that you've been given to, you may die or they may die, that marriage may come to an end. So in the here and now, don't just put up with one another. Don't just use each other to get what you want out of life. Take time to enjoy each other. Take time to enjoy each other. And I just want to en encourage the husbands here uh, in our church. This week, do something for your wife. Do something with your wife. Enjoy your spouse. And friends, if you're not married, enjoy your friends. Enjoy the relationships that God has placed into your life. Now, C.S. Lewis, he points out that, you know, in friendships... We tend to think that we are the ones that choose our friends. But he, he goes on to say, you just think about it, a, a few years of difference in age, uh, you go to this university or that university or this school or that school, any one of those choices that you make differently and you don't end up meeting this particular person. C.S. Lewis says, you know, in, in friendship, God is like a secret master of ceremonies bringing different people together. Think of some of the friends that are precious to you, maybe in church, maybe outside the church. Do you know, friends, that God is the one who is like a secret master of ceremonies, bringing you together? Friends are not of your choosing. Friends of God's choosing for you. They are gifts from Almighty God. And Kohelet is saying, enjoy them. Enjoy time with them. Don't just put up with your friends. Don't just use your friends to get ahead just like networking and things like that. 
you don't use your friends, enjoy your friends. Our relationships are gifts from a mighty God. Finally, working, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge and shield to which you are going. You see, when you are dead, there is no more work to do. And work, meaningful work, has much to do with joy in life. So Kohelet is saying, you will die one day. And the situation and the circumstances of life are uncertain. Therefore, whatever you find your hands doing, whatever work you have in your hands right now, that is a gift from God. And so do it. Do it with passion. Do it with vigor because you get to do it. Working too is a gift from God and part of the joy of living. Working as a gift from God. So friends, Kohelet is saying, enjoy life. Because death is certain. And life is uncertain. But he ends there. But friends, for you and me who know Jesus Christ, we have even more reason to enjoy life. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 25, won't you, in your Bibles. Turn with me to Isaiah 25. We'll go beyond Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, because we want to take the whole Bible. Isaiah 25. In Isaiah 25, come with me to verse 6. This is a time of disaster for the nation of Israel. But the prophet Isaiah, he says in verse 6 that there will come a time for the people of God where they will feast. They will have a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well-refined. And they say, and in verse 8, in that place, God forever, and he will take away, he will wipe away all tears from all faces, and he will take away the reproach of his people. Now, what is Isaiah talking about? Well, he's talking about the end of history. He's talking about the great marriage feast that God's people are waiting for in Revelation chapter 19. He's talking about the great banquet promised to us, Luke 14, in God's restored world, Revelation 21. Friends, Isaiah is pointing us forward to the end of history when God once and for all deals with sin and restores the world into what it was originally meant to be and the picture that he gives to us is a feast. It's a banquet. We'll be feasting. We'll be banqueting. But friends, it is a feast and it is a restoration that none of us deserve. We deserve to be judged rather than to be feasted. Look at Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 again. We are full of evil and madness in our hearts. None of us deserve this great feast. We deserve the great judgment. But yet, God sent one, John 1.14, who was full of grace and truth. We were full of evil and madness. He was full of grace and truth. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He came, He lived, and He died. And in His death, He drank the bitter cup of God's wrath and judgment that we deserved, making a way for us to eat and drink at the feast that He deserves. So friends, you and I are heading to the great banquet, to the wedding feast, to God's restored world, and we're going there not because we deserved it, but because Jesus bore our sins for us by drinking deep of the wrath of God. And so now, friends, with that in mind, when you see that, every taste of bread and wine on your tongue, every touch of garments and ointment on your skin, every relationship you enjoy and all the work you do, it points you to Jesus who gave himself for you. While you were yet a sinner, when you did not deserve it, and it points you forward to great anticipation. With great anticipation, it is a foretaste of the feast that is to come. And friends, that is how you truly enjoy life in the here and the now. Recognizing that all of these things are gifts from God. And there are gifts that are meant to be a sign to point us forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for taking lightly the good gifts that you have given to us. Forgive us, Father, for not seeing that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Forgive us for our grumbling. Forgive us for our complaining. Forgive us for our lack of thankfulness. Forgive us, Lord, for not taking what you have placed into our hands and enjoying them in the here and now and using them to serve and love others. We think of many who do not have food, who do not have work, who do not have clothes. And Father, it is our duty as your people to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to draw near to the brokenhearted. And Father, we know that we can only do that because we have first feasted on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ given from heaven. So we pray, Father, shape our hearts again by your gospel so that all these good things in our lives we would enjoy with thankfulness in our hearts and we would use to give you glory and to give the world the relief that it needs. We continue to ask your hand to be at work all around the world to contain the COVID-19 virus. Use this, Father, as a season where people are drawn closer to you. Keep back the hand of evil. We pray for suffering to be alleviated. And we pray that Jesus will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.